Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. I can get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll. And on with the show. Hi, this is Brian Courtney with Short Bus Debate Club. As usual, I've got Darren Jolly here with me. Hello. Today, we are going to talk about a topic that... Um, sort of, well, not sort of, it absolutely connects to some of the stuff we've talked about in the past. Um, transnational capital, um, modern day, well, <laughs> I almost said modern day slavery again, but, um, you know, the fact migration and, and immigration um, are, are all kind of tied to this. So today we are going to talk about outsourcing, insourcing, offshoring, nearshoring, and the like. Um, because pretty much every company out there is doing something along those lines. Um, manufacturing, it's huge. Services is probably bigger than manufacturing because of, you know, the call centers in India uh, but, you know, they're outsourcing IT services, they're outsourcing all, all kinds of stuff. And I'm not talking about managed service companies, I'm talking about more along the lines of, you know, huge, huge corporations where that's all they do is manage somebody's IT or somebody's, you know, incoming calls or, or whatever. Um so that's what we're talking about today. Another exciting episode of Short Bus <laughs> Debate Club. It is exciting. What's, what do you? What's what's this sarcasm lately? You're just talking shit all I, the time. I don't think it's lately. I think that's pretty much a standard. Um, so before before we go into you know the actual stuff where it's being done on a daily basis. I just want to mention something because I think a lot of people think that their job is secure if they're doing something in the service industry, like McDonald's or Taco Bell or, or whatever. Um, and a while back, and, and they're just doing this as a test, but if it ends up being successful, then, you know, more of them are going to open up. But there was a McDonald's um, that basically had employees that cooked the food. And up front, they had nothing but touchscreen terminals. And the drive-through was actually linked to a network. And it had cameras and, and things like that. And when you pulled up to the drive-through, the person that took your order wasn't even in the same fucking country they were outsourced <laughs> so you know even jobs like the service industry you know where you think well i've got to be there for that are at risk of of possibly being outsourced at some point well and think about what what you just said there i mean if anybody listened to that like if I'm a, a, a number cruncher, you know, a bean counter inside of an institution, and I'm trying to find ways to extract more value for the, the labor that I'm already paying for, 
or shorting, you know, bring, bringing the numbers down, you could, if you do that, you know, you might have a technology that allows you to actually, you know, you could, you could uh, service four drive-ins at the same time or something to that effect, you know, where they're literally it, during downtimes or, you know. Well, and it's important because, you know, everybody complained, well, minimum wage isn't enough and you need to pay us more. And, you know, so all of these burger places were like, okay, we'll pay you 17 bucks an hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if that call center or the call it the drive through center is in somewhere like India, then you pay what 50,000 rupees per hour yeah, instead. It, I mean, it's, it, it's crazy. The, the, the differences. I mean, it, obviously it's going to be like based on a like specific nation spe- specialties because no, no matter what India, like they have very specific, uh, you know, capabilities with regards to the things that they've insourced, you know, just like the Philippines or like you talk about Vietnam a lot in relation to textiles productions and whatnot. Yeah. Like there are very specific things that those countries bring in. Therefore they're going to be better at it. Therefore they're thought about production in relation to not having to deal with labor costs because they're not bound by the same constraints that they are in the United States because of our labor laws and because the labor pressures that come from people internal. So we can sit there and fucking say, and I want you to say, understand that before I say this, I'm not saying I don't think people should be paid a good wage. Of course, I think people, everybody, everywhere, all over the world should be paid a good wage. What, what I'm saying, actually, is that when you think about things only in terms of the nation state here pushing up those wages, what you're doing is you're effectively changing the way the production is functioning in the United States through these other places where these things can be outsourced, such as, you know, like a drive through in this instance or you know, to where they literally don't need anybody on the front counters anymore because you have them all being function functioning through te- technological spaces where you might have one te- technician in a space making sure that they're it's all working. You know, smoothly. well, and that's kind of what I was going to mention. I mean, and I don't want to go too deep on the technology and and all of that stuff, but if if you think about it, the way things are going, so again, um, not in production yet, but um, they had this like laser robot cooking type thing where really all it took was one technician. Uh So nobody was cooking burgers. Everything was done automatically. Really? A laser? Laser cooked them. Um, And then, you know, the robots were bunning them and flipping them and whatever. Um, So if you combine that with the outsourced drive-through, then there's just one fucking guy at McDonald's. It's like Bob's Burger Futurama or something like that, you know? Yeah, dude. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, but if someone looks at a total cost of ownership and their return on investment, then, you know, even if, Something costs $150,000. If they can cut, you know, all of those employees down and make it cost less than than yeah, labor. It, this is math. It's a, it's this is really complicated long division when it all comes down to it. Right. I mean, it's it's fairly simple, but a lot of people don't understand total cost of ownership and return on investment and and things like that. Well, and the left inside the United States is a really really horrible habit of like being like yeah, y'all fucking read, you know, 
the the Communist Manifesto, and then you suddenly thought that it was going to be that there was this thing like a, a capitalist and a and a laborer that was going to function in the form of the proletariat, like it did in in the 1840s when it when the when it was originally written, when it was written not as a piece of uh, analysis, but as a piece of propaganda to try to uh, motivate the British working class to mobilize and to overthrow capitalism in, in in England at that point in time, right? I mean that was that was the fucking target audience. It was not us in this day and age, but the left in the United States they 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 latch onto these ideas like raising wages or something like that, as if that really fucking matters, which you need to do. I mean, you first of all, you got to read the canon of Marx if you want to understand it. And you need to understand one really important point. I think it came up in the German ideology, but you cannot make historical conditions in the conditions of your choosing, which means that you need to know how production operates in the current terms. If you do not understand how they operate in the current terms, you cannot effectively change anything. So if you want to affect labor or uh, labor conditions or the production environment, you have to start thinking outside the fucking context of the nation state because if you keep looking inside of the space, you're assuming that we're protected here and we are not fucking protected here because production is writ large on a global scale now, whether you like it or not. It's not going to fucking change. Sorry. No, no. I mean, it's, it's absolutely not going to change. It's probably going to get worse. That's why I was so pissed off at Mitt Romney, you know, and, and you and I have talked about this multiple times, but when he first ran for president, he was honest with everybody and said, you know what, I was can't. It, was it 08 or when did he first run? Fuck. And I, I remember 12 was when he actually got the nomination. Right. Yeah. So it was 08 okay. because he was honest with people and he said, I can't bring these jobs back. Mm -hmm. I am sorry. It's mm -hmm. just not going to happen. But, but, but we'll do training uh -huh. or we'll, you know, do something mm -hmm. so that we get better jobs, uh -huh. you know? Brilliant. That was the most brilliant uh -huh. fucking thing I've seen a politician say in a long time. And then the next fucking presidential election, he's like, yeah, we're bringing those fucking jobs back. Because it was just so unpopular. Right. Well, you know, I... I don't want to go too far down that path either, but one of the things that concerns me about the education argument is that it, I do think that it would be it would be humbling for idiots in the United States to slow down and think maybe we don't understand things as well as we do as well as we think we do, and you know go go and get go get in a vocational space, you know go train yeah. yourself to do something. What you know, I mean, fuck, I work at the fucking post office, you know. I mean, my job is not you know super fucking high thoughtful labor, you know, I mean, you got to be there for a while to understand it, but it's still fucking working your fucking ass off and it's, it's, it's humbling work. Uh, but we need to go back to the point where there was something that was said during one of the presidential elections along the lines of educating. And it was, uh, who was it that said, uh, um, oh, to go teach yourselves to be coders. Did you ever, did you hear this, this line? Yeah. It was a real. It, he was telling fucking like coal miners to to go be coders or whoever it was or maybe it was fucking Hillary. You know, great fucking HRC, the fucking bitchiest bitch in the history of the fucking universe. No, it wasn't Hillary though. It was um, fuck. I can picture him like in the front of a coal mine, and unless my brain's just working that way because you said coal mine and I was like, Oh yeah. And then I saw him on a fucking log out in front of the coal mine. Um, go, go, go teach yourself coding. That was just a really provincial, you know, 
asshole kind of thing to say to people. But I'm not. You're not saying for everybody to go and become tech savvy. I mean, you're just saying. No, there's lots of things. I mean, there's lots of different training you could do. I mean, you know, you could take some sort of plumber training or electrical training or welding, which we are sorely in this region short on. Go talk to anybody in those industries. Just, I mean, it's funny the conversations you have when you're working on the window at the post office, but they're going to start to command giant, giant wages because there's such a shortage of people that are capable of doing those things pretty quickly. Well, and then cybersecurity where I am, was, <laughs> MR, um, you know, there's a fucking shortage. So if you look up cybersecurity, I mean, from the CISO down to the analyst. Right. Is it because of background checks and shit? Or? No, it's because of training it's and lack thereof. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so it's and, – and in IT as a whole, there's a shortage. And when we're talking about IT, you know, you can go to school like our friend Roger did mm-hmm. and get a degree mm-hmm. in IT, or you can go and get certificates in different – segments mm-hmm. of IT. So that you're demonstrating proficiency in specific yeah, fields. Right. Yeah. And so that way you can just be a coder or yeah. you can be an analyst uh-huh. or you can be the cybersecurity guy uh-huh. or you can be a threat hunter or whatever. So, but there are shortages in a lot of those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what I meant by training. Um, I didn't mean that everybody needed to go get a formal education or get a PhD for that matter. A lot of what you need to learn, um, to get certified, you can get at the fucking library, you know, those things that lend you books for free. Um, (laughs) what do you mean? (laughs) Whatever do you mean? <laughs> have to have a library card. Um, There's some cool digital things that are coming up with libraries right now. There's a lot of shit available right now. So, but you're suggesting that there's there's uh, test preparation stuff that you can take for the tests and then go take the test yourself. Yeah. So you can yeah. actually go through the process of education without having to pay for somebody else providing the education for the certification. And then you can go take the that test. is correct. And there's there's free classes, you know. I mean, they figured out a way to monetize it more, but you can still get free classes off of like uh, Coursera.org or what's the other one? edx.org or edx.edu. Yeah, so. um, there are free classes there. Harvard, their digital classes, they've got a bunch of free ones, but they also have a bunch that you can pay for. So, I mean, the, the training is out there. So to kind of get things back to the, the, the outsourcing discussion, when we were talking earlier and I was kind of looking over some stuff, and like one of the things that I do, just to kind of get a feel for the rhetorical space that's out there that other people are like putting out there with regards to ideas. But just I, yeah, hold, hold up one second because yeah, go I got to jump back because okay. it is edx.org. Um, but both edx and Coursera allow you to take classes from any number of universities out there. For instance, you can take a class at MIT and a class at Brown at the same time. 
Um, you know, you can take a class at the University of Missouri and the University of Nebraska. Um, so it's it's very cool. And, you know, if you have, you know, thoughts and dreams of attending Ivy League, then in theory, you could attend Ivy League. That's all. <laughs> so education, good out there. Um, but one of the so like education one, good, good good out there. Oh. <laughs> uh. um, one of the things that uh, that popped up when I was going through, um, well, because the first thing that popped up when I put outsourcing in on YouTube was there's this this little Vietnamese girl from Australia, and this lady had a business, and her business was to set up the capability of a person to outsource to the Philippines, right? So primarily she was dealing with tech stuff like a, a web uh, web development and all that kind of. So she had access to labor pools that were inside the Philippines that, that could do this. And she went through these different levels where you, st- you start at level four and you go all the way up to level one. But really the idea is that you get to the point where you start where you're essentially, um, you have a product that you're you're putting in the hands of these people and you're paying them to make it based on what it is that you have. <laughs> up to the point where you actually make contacts with the labor pools inside of those countries and you're picking and choosing from the various different like and and what that was her big deal was that she actually had connections to people that ha- that were more than proficient they had like excellence and specific attributes with regards to these technical fields well so uh, just real quick and and then you can talk about the the little vietnamese australian girl <laughs> um so Outsourcing, there's there's really a big umbrella, but for the most part right now, the terminology goes like this. Outsourcing is generally tech slash service type stuff. So IT services, call center, things like that. Okay. Then when you start, even though all of it is outsourcing, but I just wanted to make it clear because some other terminologies might come up on your own research. So outsourcing is generally, you know, those service type things. Um, offshoring is when you send manufacturing somewhere else. Nearshoring is where you send it somewhere else, but it's closer. So kind of, yeah. So instead of sending it to the Philippines, we send it to... Mexico. Yeah, there's a certain switch that they can make for Toyota's trucks or for GM's, you know, right. cars, whatever. And so that's nearshoring. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and it, I just thought it was important because, you know, the, the Vietnamese lady, she's teaching you how to start a business of the outsourcing. So the, it's yeah. that tech stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's finding an algorithm or, or developing software or you know, building a building, call center. Yeah, or or soft, soft software development. Was, yeah, or uh, web web development was another thing she talked about. Right. But um, while she was talking about it, it was very clear that she was part of an organization that she was paying a tribute to that helped her to organize her position in relation to the Philippines. So what it turned into, what it really sounded like to me, was a fucking pyramid scheme. You know, she wants to sign people up to do it. And she's the connection and somebody else did that, you know, and, and so like she, she had to pay, you know, 3% to them. And then, 
we have to pay, you know, 3% to her, but 1% to them, you know, if you're going to sign up for it. But because people have dreams of, you know, doing things, building, whether it's building things, whether it's having things constructed or whether it's you have to, if you're in the United States, if you're just regular, you and me, Joe Schmo, you know, you, you don't have access to uh, connections in those various areas. And people right. have fantasies about, you know, in the same way that people had fantasies of, making tons of money in the GameStop thing, you know, people have fantasies of making tons of money in production. So uh, you, you imagine a product that you can build and you have to find a way to do that, you know? So you, but we're four degrees away from the people who are actually doing that. So for us to gain access to it, you have to jump through these hoops to, that you have to pay huge tributes through to get to. Well, and you just need to make sure you're jumping through the right hoops. And that's a problem because generally speaking, you've got to have money. Um, in order to start searching for the right hoop. Um, and yeah, because it costs money to learn that shit. If you don't have money, um, then it'll end up costing you a shitload more because you might have to learn the hard way. Like you sign up with some little Vietnamese girl from Australia who you saw online, who runs and then all of a sudden money. she yeah. <laughs> you know, took your money and sent you a fucking brochure and on the brochure, you know, it told you three things you need to do or whatever. <laughs> and then you never fucking hear from her again. Um, and I'm not saying that that's her, her gimmick. Um, and the only reason I, because of her name, her name was fucking Vietnamese. So if you, if you, if you know, Chinese names are different, Japanese names are different, Korean names are different. If you're, you know, awake and conscious, you know, around yourself, you should be able to figure out these things in the fucking world. So, you know, she had a, you know, if your last name is N-G-U-Y-E-N, then you're fucking Vietnamese 190% of the time. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's all over the place. Um, you know, when I went to Romania, um, prior... Was source shit, wasn't it, kind of? It was a fucking ton. And that's what I was going to say, is that prior to them assassinating Ceausescu... Um, he wanted, These motherfuckers don't even know who that is. he wanted Bucharest to be this tech capital of Europe. So they really had that kind of like built into it with, with him prior. Oh, fucking a, like, I mean, all of the schools had, you know, tech and it was engineering and mathematics and, and all of that and, you know, software and all of the things that were done with tech back in the eighties. Right. Um, so when I was in Romania, every time I went over there, I met somebody from France or Germany or somewhere that was there because they had outsourced software development or they paid somebody to develop an algorithm or, Something along those lines. And the reason is, is because in Eastern Europe, the cost of labor is less than it is in Western Europe. Yeah, there's clear, very clear production relations between Western and Eastern Europe. So it wasn't just Romania. It was the Ukraine. It was... Um, yeah, they're higher on that. They're, yeah, because they're still kind of, they're like Poland. 
we are as part Western Europe, yeah, right? We've, we've been, well, well, I mean, it was technically Eastern then, but we've yeah. invested so much shit in them. We have so many military. We have like fucking like. Uh, Especially with the Ukraine. Well, no, I meant right if now. you looked at the border, like yeah, the, yeah. how I mean, the it was, it was behind the curtain. So right, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's those are kind of technicalities. I mean, you know, Germany and Poland they go back and forth so much that like that Germany steals Polish soccer players, <laughs> and people get really pissed about it. And that's 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 the truth. That's no joke. So because they because they fight over where the lines are because it, the the dividing line between western and eastern europe in those spaces is not quite as clear as uh we'd like them these imaginary lines to be sometimes yeah belarus is another one where they go and and grab tech stuff but, so but belarus is a huge now everything's gotten weird because of the russia ukraine stuff like belarus is on russia's side so things are very odd right that. right but russia you know at one time um if you were trying to start like an antivirus company uh -huh. or, or cybersecurity, uh -huh. you were going to Russia to find those hackers because they were just so proficient at busting through somebody's shit. And, you know, well, so their background in intelligence hasn't been really weak. You well, know? I'm not I'm not even talking about, you know, people that were former. I understand that. Right. Those, like, you, like you were suggesting, these in these spaces in Romania, like you said, in Bucharest, in Belarus, you know, they they had these uh, things that were already in place that were, when, when you go to a post-Soviet world, allow for transition to a space to where proficiency is going to reflect whatever your technical proficiency was prior to the the fall of the war. Well, you know, so, and, and Russia would, would have been right at the center of any anything like that. Right, and it's weird all the the hacking allegations that when they would uh, you know be jumping through multiple places, there's all there'd always be ties to Russia, at least the rhetorical disposition. I don't know how true any of it is. You know, I don't want to. I certainly don't want to get in on the uh, the rhetorical bullshit against Russia right now that everybody's maintaining. I think things are a lot more complicated with that, so I don't want to. We can talk about the material things as opposed to making value judgments. I guess is what I'm saying. So. Well, the the reason that I mentioned, you know, any of the the Eastern European countries and and their contribution to outsourcing was just to say, you know, it's not just us doing it. It's yeah. It's basically any any country that would be considered higher on the food chain than another. It's interesting. I wonder, like, when Eastern. Germany and Western Germany came back together. I wonder how sort of like intelligence sharing sort of like played out. And because I mean, you you know, you you essentially have two municipalities becoming one, and the Stasi were just fucking a nightmare, you know. Yeah, um, I don't know. I've I've kind of wondered about the intelligence because it wasn't just the Stasi. I mean, the KGB was there too. Yeah. Um, but they were all fighting with each other. I didn't realize how much infighting there would go on between those different intelligence agencies until much later. Well, I'm sure a lot of it is like now the CIA and the FBI, you know, saying, oh, well, you can't do this because it's, you know, it's our soil. And the CIA says, well, fuck you, you know, you're over in Uzbekistan or, or wherever, and that's supposed to be our domain. I'm I'm sure there's a lot of that that happens. Maybe not.
Well, Germany's. I mean, people over. I don't want to go down that road. Over, but the the, the the people over over when they think about things in the United States about the Iron Curtain, they tend to conflate a lot. That's all I was going to say. And uh, the difference between a nation state, like they brought it up in that movie Bridge of Spies, a ton. It was really quite an interesting discussion that they brought up. I don't know how technically accurate it was in relation to history, but because things were happening in Eastern Germany. Well, in Berlin, Eastern Berlin, um, they kept uh, they kept pointing. The, the The German intelligence would point to the Russians. The Russians would point to the East Germans. You know, they, they, it was just uh, it's just curious how like a nation state is different than you know because the G Germany wanted to get on the same playing field that the Soviets, well, that Russia and uh, the United States were on. They wanted to be recognized as an equal, but that was never going to fucking happen at that point. So. You know, I, I love talking about intelligence and, and spy type shit. Um, but I think that that's a serious tangent at this point. Well, I'm waiting for you to get done with whatever it is you're doing over there, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to clear this fucking search, dude, well, can, and it won't go away. Well, I can go back to. I can definitely go back to outsourcing. I mean, no, that's it's it's fine. I mean, I was kind of focused on it, but um, I was still listening and talking. So, um. Yeah, I mean, the tech stuff in Eastern Europe, and, and it's just, again, about labor uh -huh. and how much it's going to cost somebody. And they had a base in in Romania that, like in your experience, that was that was strong. So, and the, the what, what, what's the, what was the currency there at that time? Well, they used, um, the euro was there, um, but what the hell was the... But they were still using their, their, their national currency. You could do both. Sense. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember but what it was. It was a weak, was a weak concern, currency relative to the euro or to the dollar. Oh, way, yeah. Way I was, like, rich when I went to Romania. I was... And that had a big effect on the cost of labor and whatnot in the area. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that I would have been rich if I was in Slovakia, too. Um, damn it, what is the name of their... Um, currency. You'll get there eventually. It's the it's the Ron. The Ron. R O N. Long O. Yeah. Ron. Um. Spasiba Nimnoga Ron. And it's so basically one of their Romanian Ron or Lu is twenty cents. One in five, okay. Or one to four. One in five. Yeah. So, like I said, I mean, I was what? just a party fucking animal <laughs> when I was over there, dude. When I started looking at outsourcing, it was when the globalization discussion first emerged in college, right? And we, we read these stupid books, like this fucking book by uh, Thomas Friedman called The Lexus and the Olive Tree, which... It was sort of that I. It was rooted in the idea. He, I think he had it in the previous book, but it was the golden arches thing. Anywhere where there's a fucking McDonald's, the U.S. doesn't fire bombs. I mean, it's 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 the idea that uh, we had problems with uh, people that have big religious positions, fundamentalist religious positions, and if they don't uh, recognize the economic investment side of things, 
because they were all about the rhetorical spaces. It was all that it was all the neoliberal, you know, just open up your borders. We need to be able to move capital. We need to be able to take uh, uh, to free them up from labor constraints, you know, because labor costs too much in the United States. There's other ways to make money. But as time went on, boy, they, 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 they tried to get everybody to drink the fucking Kool-Aid. But the facts were the facts. Well, so, you know, right before we we clicked record here, um, you started talking about insourcing here in the United States. And I, I don't want to say that we're done with the outsourcing thing, because there are lots of things that are outsourced offshored or, or nearshored. I mean, you know, clothing, towels, any any sort of textile, um, cars, all, all of that shit. You'd be hard-pressed to find any production line that you can't deal with internal to a specific geographic location any longer. Right, because even if, like now, you know, a lot of the Nissans are made here in Tennessee and a lot of the GMs are still made up in, in Detroit or somewhere in Michigan, but the parts you know, are probably made somewhere else um, in Japan or in the introduction in, of wherever book, Lexus and Olive Tree. He actually took, he took Toyota GM and uh, I, it was, it was, it was, some, it was a German company. I can't remember what it was, but he said, you think that these car, these cars are American. You think these cars are Japanese. You think these cars are German. And he said, the parts are produced in 237 different countries and they're put together in 142 of them. Right. And that's why the federal trade commission here in the United States said, you know, you can't necessarily say made in the USA anymore. You can say assembled or fully assembled in the USA, which always makes me laugh. Like I bought, I think it was keen boots. Um, and it says assembled in the USA, (laughs) which means that I don't know what they get the fucking soul from, somewhere and the the tongue from somewhere or they just had all the pieces put together in a plastic bag and they just sent it to the united states and right like, when they're all together yeah i don't know how the fuck that worked and it might not have been keen boots but i know it was a pair of boots i mean it's the point you know i mean it's just insane it's just, to think about the concept like when we were growing up you remember that movie gung-ho yeah. So I mean, that was about like when Japan was starting to move like small amounts of sites of production in the United States. It was not big at all, but like the the relative hatred of production positions towards the Japanese. I mean, like I remember being like young and like because my parents subscribed to a certain you know disposition, they you know Japanese this and blah 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 and made in America. You know. Right. America by American. Those days are just so gone. I mean, it just doesn't even make any sense anymore. Well, and when they do say it, it, it's generally a lie. Um, And when, when I was doing my research for a lot of this stuff, um, I started going down some fucking rabbit holes and I figured we'd better just keep it vague because (laughs) there's, there's laws on the books that say, okay, it's got to be this much, and that's a percentage, and this much, and and then this is going to be a tariff, this is going to be a tariff idea, and this isn't, and you're going to pay this much, like 30 fucking 5% tax on this part, and I mean, it, it just started getting out of control, like to where you had to be a fucking accountant, and, you know, maybe... A CEO, a tax lawyer, yeah, I mean, at the very maybe least, a lawyer, yeah. I, I actually had a guy come into the post office 
about six, seven years ago. And we had sent something out of the United States. He was doing it on a business level, right? Um, and it wasn't just like a, a sample, you know, because there's differences between if you send just samples to places and you send something that you're actually trying to extract value from, right? Right. And uh, he had it sent back because they required tariffs because of the value of the item and blah, blah, this. And he said, well, you guys should know that. I said, are you out of your fucking mind? Do you know how much shit we send every day? <laughs> well, and, and, and not only that, because I just on a whim, you know, because my background's in political economy. So I'm like, well, let me go see if I can figure out how to calculate something to send to somewhere easy, to Canada. Just to some, something simple, you know, not like something that they, they export, you know. So something that's like a U.S. thing. I can't remember what it was that I looked at, but... I tried to figure it out, and when you got to the, the mathematical equation where you had to divide this and add that and blah, blah, this, and the value of this in relation to that, I was like, how could – I said, that's fucking Canada. You know, how do you deal with this when you're dealing with, like, mass production positions from Vietnam or from – Dude, it was you know, from fucking crazy, Honduras. and, like, this part didn't – like, this part wasn't taxed on profit. This part was taxed on, you know, like a flat sort of thing, and this part here was taxed on profit. So, you know, you've got all of these different things and you got to break them down. And I figured that was just too much information anyway. So I didn't even bother with it. But when I looked at it for Canada, it was too much information for me. So I agree. With that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just I, I, I did more research, just easy stuff. Um, to give you guys an idea of kind of what we're talking about. Like so where things are produced and whatnot? Yeah, so, like, I've got some Nordstrom pajama pants. They're made in India. My Fruit of the Loom t-shirt, these are the t-shirts that are pocketed. Um, you know, not undershirts, but t-shirts that you can wear outside or whatever. Was made in El Salvador. Uh, my Eddie Bauer hoodie was made in Vietnam. My undershirts by Haynes were made in the Dominican Republic. They make good stuff in the Dominican Republic. Fuck yeah, those guys know what they're doing. Baseball players and undershirts. Prostitutes. Um, <laughs> wow. My, my towels were made in Turkey. Um, my jean jacket and my coat by Levi's were made in China, but the jeans themselves were made in Mexico, which I thought was fucking weird. Like, Why? oh, like the Levi, like right. Uh -huh. So Levi's jeans uh -huh. are made in Mexico, but their jackets are made in China. But they, I mean, that's a you know they just they're gonna find the best production position. They know what they're. I know, but if you've got, I don't know. Whatever, I just whatever, figured if that's you, the whole point. We assume a ton of things with regards to this, but it's fucking crazy. If so you had one contract with somebody that's already making your shit, you'd figure you'd be able to weasel a better price. But maybe, whatever. Maybe. Um, so LL Bean, my jacket was made in Cambodia. My Columbia jacket was made in Bangladesh. My North Face gloves were made in China. Um, I only looked at, at four of my dress shirts. Two of them were made in Sri Lanka and two in Indonesia. And they were, uh, Lauren by, by Ralph Lauren. Um, my Lauren sport coats, um, I only looked at two of them. One was made in Jordan, which I thought was odd. And then the other one was made in China. So you got, what, like 12, 13 different items there. And I counted, I, because of the doubles there, I count uh, 12 or 13 municipalities. Yeah. Which doesn't even, 
And that's when it says, again, when it says made there, we don't even know that it's entirely, and I understand they're close, but. The, oh, you mean like who's looming the shit? Like, d- is the the thread made there and the that whole, kind the of whole thing? Fucking thing, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. This is, but it's it's probably even more complicated than that when you get right down to brass tacks. I was I was listening to something on the news the other day, not on the news, it was on some other podcast, but they were talking about uh, where the coffee break came from. Oh, the break like at work? Yeah, because uh, during World War II, right before. Uh, the rise of U.S. production, you know, love U.S. Uh, when all the guys went to war, there was a Thai factory in Denver, right? A lo- where they would loom the fucking ties. It was super, super high-end ties. And uh, when they left, they had old guys come in and do it, but they were too fucking, uh, their hands were good and they were old and worthless. So they brought in women. And uh they were just doing math in relation to it and the production would go down at a certain point so they had the women come in and they say what could we do to raise production well it was a different time period when you come together with labor and you'd actually have these conversations with labor because everybody was so not so skeptical you know and fuck you you're on another side but uh um they said uh, give us a coffee break and like that was unheard of they didn't I mean they didn't i don't think they realized at that point in time what coffee really had achieved socially for those of us who are coffee junkies i wonder how true that story is i don't know but i mean it was a good story and the guy who did it researched it pretty well because the same thing like i heard that similar except it was for dr pepper and that's why they use the 10 2 and 4 on their ads Uh is because they had done research or whatever, and 10 o'clock was the best time for caffeine, and then 2, and then 4, and then you would be productive throughout your day. Um, and so and I heard that, Dr. Pepper, like, coffee is the fucking, one of the highest fucking caffeine sodas. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I said I heard something similar, but I don't know if the 10 2, 4 thing is true well, either. We, we can, we can, we can look into that. The guy said it was in Denver, and there's people that have no fucking connection to Colorado at all. I mean, it was on a Joe Rogan episode. So. My grandma worked in the fish hook factory for, uh, oh, fuck, I can't even remember. Eagle claw fish hooks. They're gone now, but, um, yeah, lots of women went to the factories in world war two. Um, so we're, we're coming up on 45 minutes, but I want, cause what you said was interesting, um, about the insourcing uh-huh. of oh. teachers, so, you know, why don't you tell us some more about that? Because I thought it was pretty I, interesting. I, I, I couldn't even fucking believe it, to be perfectly honest with you. So, like, as growing up, I really thought of all the things that I'd probably be the best at, it was would be an educator. Um, but for a number of reasons, in 2003, I, I, I went and tutored in Cherokee Public Schools. Some shit went down. I couldn't. I actually think I talked about it on a previous episode. But I... Uh, I couldn't have anything to do with the education system in the United States anymore um, because it's really diseducation, which is something that we've also talked about on other episodes and something I'm sure that's going to come up a ton fucking more as time goes on. But uh, I would call it re-education. Well, disinformation. Re-education with disinformation. (laughs) Well, we'll re and dis and uh, we'll put the appropriate prefixes and suffixes on that. These various different uh, designations. We are teaching you to be a cog. But either either way, um, 
there are a lot of schools because of the fact that they can't get like with so with all the testing and the bullshit, the stuff that came out of No Child Left Behind, there are certain areas where the testing has failed so much. They're having a lot of difficulties getting teachers or holding teachers in specific spaces. Uh, so there, we're starting to, in the United States, reach out to other countries throughout the world to, to bring them in. And this, I saw this thing specifically. Um, it was through, uh, what's the HBO news thing? Uh, I don't know. The, the, the one they have, they, they have a show every day. The H- HBO does. Vice. Oh, okay. Vice, Vice did a thing on it where they were talking about um, uh, there's a gal who came here in the late 80s, uh, Filipino, and uh, she saw essentially what was happening um, here with regards to a general inability to to get teachers to come and to hold them. And there's this thing, I think it's called a, T, a T3 or a T9 um, uh where you can like a visa visa yes where you can come and you can teach for three years from another country so she would create this window where uh she would charge these uh these filipinos she would vet them seriously and they'd have to go through a bunch of testing and it was twelve thousand seven hundred dollars and she that half of it was her profit and half of it was for and she did a lot of shit man she'd fly him here she'd uh, she'd get up there, get their, uh, um, their apartment set up for them. They would stay four to a fucking apartment. So they're not living in the best fucking conditions for those three years. You know, it might not be bad compared to where they were living in the Which Philippines. Is exactly what the point was. She was talking to you, you, you said a number earlier about the difference between rupees versus, you know, um, 3,500 was what she was getting paid in the Philippines to teach. And when she started here, she got paid 52,000. Now the cost of living in the United States is probably going to be greater but she's not like, if they're living for to a place that's i was about to say yeah. the way that they're doing things they're they're going to make enough money to where they like she's got to pay her this one they focused on this one gal and, and and she had to pay her dad back for the money that he should that, to cover the cost of the the 12 7 but uh this is going to because of the failure of people in the united states to understand the complexity of these production positions to where this is going to continue to happen these spaces are going to you know, it's it, the the difference between public spaces and private spaces is really important in relation to this because you're bringing these people in from out into these pu- public spaces to function uh, where people in the United States are not uh, actualizing their their spaces in relation to that. But also, it's it's that we need to understand how we fit into the bigger picture of these labor movements on a global level. Because if you don't see why it is that that's going to start happening and why it is that making arguments for $17 an hour at McDonald's is not going to help you because of these changes that are going to occur because of production positions, and then you're essentially living in a, a dead era. We, we need to get our heads. Well, and you know what is really kind of fucked up about that whole thing is that, you know, if there is a teacher listening to this right now, mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that when they signed up to be a teacher and, you know, I don't know, maybe they, if they got tenure, they're, they're just thinking, well, fuck it. They can't do anything to me. I've got summers off. I'm, I'm good. Be careful. Um, at, you know, once that union has to sign a new contract or whatever, they might be bringing in a bunch of fucking Filipinos or, you know, Koreans or whatever. Especially because, like, if you can't, and they were talking, most of the instances they were talking about were inner city Chicago, they were, uh, Houston, Dallas, um, 
big metropolitan New York uh, they were having problems in. But where my daughter graduated from high school, they were having they couldn't they couldn't keep, and it was because of the the constraints that they put on teachers with regards to testing, and also because the political the politicization of uh, what you communicate about in the classroom is beginning to stymie teachers. And you can that's why that's why I'm never going back because I fucking just talked about current events, you know, and was instructed not to talk about them anymore. Well, Denver public schools can't find teachers. Aurora public schools can't find teachers. Now, part of that might be because, you know, there are some of those inner city type of areas Mm -hmm. where you could get stabbed or shot or whatever. Mm -hmm. And not, not as much as Chicago, probably anywhere in Denver is not, but Denver's getting, Denver's getting a lot worse, dude. It's getting interesting here. So. So I don't know, but now, uh, so just, you know, keep that shit in mind. I don't think anybody's safe. Um, your job can be outsourced pretty much any time. Um, you shouldn't worry about a Mexican taking your job. Worry about somebody shipping it to a Korean or a Filipino. Yeah. Or having a Filipino come into your and take it. Or no an matter what, it does that doesn't even fucking matter either. What what you need to understand is is that if you're gonna if you're gonna fight for a good position you need to know where you sit in the grand scheme of things as a whole. Don't don't just sit there and pretend it. Yeah, quit worrying about one move. Worry about six. Yeah. Um, big picture. Chess. Big big picture. This is all chess, folks. Um. All right, people. We're gonna talk about the Marvel universe on the next episode. Um. On Wednesday. On, on Wednesday, yes. <laughs> and later this week, we're gonna be talking about something else. We might, we might end up talking, I don't know that we really finished this discussion. I think that we might have to come back in on some of this outsourcing stuff and kind of at least wrap around on some of it. But we'll see. We'll talk more about that. Eventually. I, I know that'll happen sometime, if not if not Friday. But um, we're definitely going to be talking about something exciting. Um, we're coming up on 50 minutes now, so I would like to thank you for listening. Uh, let us know if you've got any thoughts or comments yeah. maybe talk uh some shit to us please yeah talk talk some shit um so you can call us at 720-334-ROLL roll um you can reach us on twitter at uh short bus debate and tiktok short bus debate club so thanks again we will talk to you later adios adios